Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three or four. Not sure how these ones are going to shake out. We had a little bit of technical difficulties coming out of the last episode, but the episode before this should have been you hearing our interview with the Bowling Green Hot Rods broadcaster, Sean Mernon. And then this one is episode four. After a short two-week hiatus, Matt, I'm happy to be back sitting here recording another episode. So am I. It's been a while, but hopefully it'll be a good one. It will definitely be a good one. We've got a lot of big stuff to cover. The amount of trades, free agent signings. We've got top 100 prospects. We've got so much to cover without any wasting time. Let's jump into it. Let's start with probably the biggest thing that happened to the Rays. Let's start with that Marcelo Zuna deal that just was completed last night. Tampa looked to be in the running there till the end, and he ends up going back to the Braves. Your initial reaction? Well, the longer he sat around, the the more it made sense for him to go to the race and and the more the finances could work out. Because honestly, they they weren't going to be playing at the top end, but if he'd been willing to take the the yearly value that uh, Nelson Cruz got, for instance, for two or three years, then they probably would have been in. And some people were saying just the one year. But when, when he actually had the offer sitting there and, and he said to his agent, that's it. That's the only offer we have outside the Braves that we know of anyway, that, that was announced. Everybody got excited. And they, you know, the Braves seemed like they were trying to slow play it, trying to get him to bite on a one or two year deal. It sounded like, and uh, he was really integral to their lineup. They, and he, he seemed to have such a good year. It's hard for him to move to a different place, but I would say if I'm him and I'm looking at what the Padres and the Dodgers are lining up against me, I would have thought hard about signing with the Rays instead, because I don't want to say the road is easy per se for the Rays, but where they were just in the, in the world series last year and they have Wander Franco coming up, I might've leaned a little bit more towards the Rays. And, you know, I think something that no one was really talking about in, in this, there are multiple Rays chats I'm a part of with fans, uh, different people who are in the organization. And one of them from a source inside the organization saying, one thing that was really driving the Rays to push for Ozuna was a Latin American veteran to mentor a lot of these young Latin American guys coming up, whether it's Patino, whether it's even Francisco Mejia, whether it's a guy like Wander Franco. There, were, there was definitely a push there to get a mentor in here who's been through it, who's been traded, who's had success, who's been to the postseason. And then imagine adding him to this Rays lineup with already some great players with uh, – Randy Arozarena bursting onto the scene. You've right. still got guys like Michael Barrasso, like Brandon Lau, like Austin Meadows and Hunter Renfro. Mm-hmm. That could have been a pretty good lineup, and he could have DH, maybe still give you some flexibility in the outfield. Who knows? So the thing that he would have given the Rays the most would have been, like they have right now, a Rosarena to put in between Lau and Meadows. So they've got the big right-handed bat and two big left-handed bats. They need that extra right-handed bat that can also provide the power. And, and you're right. He would have taken all the pressure off the young guys. He would have been the go-to guy, you know, can run produce. And then that would have been a perfect fit for sure. I think it, there are still guys out there that they can go out and get that are similar to Azuna. And that'll be interesting to see if they decide to go that route now. Is there anyone that you think the Rays should keep their eyes on or that the Rays do have their eyes on that um, that we're looking at? I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but if the Reds were to fall out of the race early this coming year, 
I think uh, Suarez is somebody that they would take a hard look at and decide whether or not they, they can make a deal in that front because he's the same kind of, of hitter where he's, he's more uh, power bat, um, kind of a solid D for third base, more so than Ozuna um, for long term anyway. So it's just the amount of money might be the perfect fit there because he's sitting at around 11 million. So it, it might be the guy that they target down the road. That's who I'd mention. We've heard a lot of the Rays in on different guys, not limited to um, not limited to Ozuna. One name that I found interesting was they've been in on a bunch of pitchers this year. Mike fulton who they essentially, a lot of people say, ended his career in Atlanta this year, signed <laughs> with Texas for $2 million. We heard he's been on, in on him. We heard the Rays were in on Dallas Keuchel. The Rays have been in on so many of these pitchers. They signed Chris Archer, which we'll talk about in a minute. Why haven't we seen some more dominoes fall to come to Tampa Bay? Um, well, to be quite honest, I think they're being frank and honest with people and, and letting them know exactly how they're going to use them so that they're well prepared for that. And a lot of them might be thinking that they want more than that if they can. So they might circle back around to the Rays. And there's also the thought that the Rays have somebody lined up already and that they're just waiting for the 60 man, uh, 60 day DL to or IL to open up so that they can shift guys over and then make the signings official. So I think guys like Rich Hill, for instance, who they've, they've been tied to, you, you could probably see that happen as soon as spring training opens, they sign him, he's on board and he's probably already in Tampa waiting to go. Um, so I'm not saying him per specifically, but those kind of guys might end up getting uh, announced within the next, what, 10 days, 12 days? Yeah. So yeah. let's go back to this pitchers. We just mentioned it. Chris Archer, a homecoming from him. The mm -hmm. Rays essentially got Austin Meadows, oh. Tyler Glass now, and Shane Baz for free. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Your initial reaction, I'll tell you my initial reaction coming out of this. I was really excited for him to come back. He obviously had the most success of his career here in Tampa. And on a one-year deal, it's low risk for the Rays. And maybe now that he gets back in this Rays system and in the trough where he's comfortable, could we see a resurgence from Chris Archer? I will go on the record as saying that if, if Chris Archer is healthy this year or the next two years, depending on how long he sticks around, he's going to start having his best years. And the reason I say that is because although – Chris Archer has been able to depend on his stuff when he was with the Rays originally and, and kind of working his way haphazardly through lineups. Now he's more mature. He's had time to kind of sit back over the last year and a bit and, and decide exactly which tools he should use when, uh, what his stuff is going to be going forward. So I think what you're going to see from Archer is a lot of what happened with Charlie Morton, who had to struggle his way. He Charlie Morton had a lot more struggles. Don't get me, don't, it's not a direct comparison but i think the maturity level and the toolbox he has to work with which is lethal if he i mean the slider is just crazy so if he can use that in the right ways and figure things out with the race he's going to be get some of his better contracts later on in his career and and i think that for this year in particular because the race can ramp him up slowly we're going to see some awesome things from him at the end of the year if they're able to keep him healthy I really believe that. I think Chris Archer could be the missing piece to this Rays team. He has experience here in Tampa. He has experience pitching in high leverage games. And now you pair him at the top of that rotation with Glasnow, 
You've got now a rotation. Hopefully they can, they want to run a five man rotation because you can run a five man of glass. Now Archer Waka Yarborough and whoever you want to slot in Fleming. If you want to slot him in, you know, you've got a ton of options for that fifth man. If the Rays want to go back to running a five man rotation, Yes, it doesn't have the big flashy names like like San Diego or like Los Angeles, but I still think the Rays can run it and be highly successful. I think they're going to be more like a piggyback is what I would call it. So to start anyway, so you're going to have like, let's say they do sign Rich Hill, right? You can have Rich Hill start with Sledgers going on after him or vice versa. And the same thing with Chris Archer because Chris Archer can come up throw three, four innings, depending on the pitch count, where he is in the lineup to keep his innings at a minimum and his pitches at a minimum. They can then bring in a left-hander, Josh Fleming, Yarbrough, whoever, and then they take over and get the raise through six or seven or eight, depending on how things are going. But between those two, you have two to three spots locked up. And then you have glass. Now you have Waka, who they can also do that with. But I, I will say that both Archer and Hill more than likely start. I don't want to say they're going to be, Oh, you, the Rays are going to use the openers with them. They're going to start the games, but they're going to go three, four innings to start the year, I, I think. Do you think we – here's my big thing. Do we see the Rays sign a guy like James Paxton? He's the probably the biggest pitching free agent left. He's been linked with Tampa. He's got a house down here. I've heard the three teams he's linked with are the big three in the AL East. The Blue Jays because he wants to go back to Canada. The Yankees, obviously, where he pitched last year, and down here in Tampa. I know people who have the Toronto, and I I have forever, and that's my prediction when the offseason started was Toronto. But now that the, the Mets missed out on Bauer and the way that it happened, I, if, if they, for some reason, can't get Jake Odorizzi to sign there, and I have a feeling that he might go to St. Louis or something more in the central area, um, then they could be the favorites for James Paxton. He has so many suitors that I'm not sure the Rays can, can match up in terms of salary. Uh, I think a desperate team or a desperate enough team will give them 15, 16 million. And that's going to be outside the range. I agree. I want to talk about, we'll, we'll talk about a few more of the free agent signings that happen with other teams. I want to talk about probably what I saw as the most interesting trade. And we didn't talk about this pre-show, but I want to bring this up. Okay. Dexter Fowler going from the Cardinals <laughs> to the angels. What, what is going on there? We obviously know he played for Joe Madden, the Cardinals three hours before posted a picture of him and Nolan Arenado. Next thing you know, we see the Angels announcing a trade. What What is there doing that? Because if the Angels are trying to win for the oldest team, they're definitely getting there. But I don't see how that's going to help them win a sh- championship. The only way that it makes sense is if they want to use Fowler in left field and move Upton somewhere else, like move him to another team. Because their outfield right now is so atrocious defensively. And that's with Mike Trout in center. Mike Trout is not the best defensive center fielder anymore. He's slowed down a step or two. His arm is excellent, but, but he's not able to cover four deficiencies in left and right the way he used to. So what they've basically painted themselves into is like holding back their young guys, which are Adele and Marsh, who are, really electric players that could have covered a lot of ground out there and, and taking pressure off of Mike Trout. And they've stuffed two veterans in there just because they recognize the names, they're comfortable with them, they want the professionalism out of them, but it's going to hurt their pitching. And they just added Jose Quintana, who's a fly ball pitcher, who's going to be sending balls to the outfield left, right, and center. And, and 
it just didn't make any sense to me at all. It, I, really I completely agree with you. Let's go over some of these free agent signings. The first one I want to go to is one that was linked to Tampa for, for a minute, not really heavily. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers signed Colton Wong, the second baseman. I That's like that for the Brewers. You get a guy out of the division into your team, and mm-hmm. he definitely bolsters that team. And then that gives you the ability to move Keston Hira to maybe third. I've seen him maybe playing first. You know, right. there it gives you options with a younger guy who's got a lot of pop. And mm-hmm. I think Colton Wong will play to the strengths of Miller Park really well. Yeah, I think he's a solid catch for sure because he he basically allows them to whoever works out of their other younger infielders, they can manage those a, a better way now that they have basically second base cover no matter what. Exactly. The Detroit Tigers re-signed Jonathan Scope. Not a big shock there. The mm-hmm. Chicago Cubs signed Jock Peterson. I love that for Chicago. Yeah, that's but solid. he is a much better defender than what Schwarber is, and you get him for much cheaper than you would have gotten Schwarber. I yep. think, if anything, this is an upgrade out there in Chicago. Yep. I think both him and Schwarber will benefit from the moves that the, the swap basically were. Peterson in in uh, in Chicago. I don't. I wonder where they're going to hit him in the lineup. Um, whether he'll hit fifth or sixth, but he'll either be in front of or behind Baez, and, and that will help him a lot. I think you could even see him. You know, you've got Nico Horner probably going to lead off in that in that lineup. Maybe mm-hmm. you put him in the tool in the two hole to make them pitch to him before you get to the guys like Bryant Rizzo and Baez. You know, good work. You've got so many options with that lineup that mm-hmm. you can't really go wrong. Right. If only they had pitching. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of pitching, they also announced that they signed Trevor Williams and Andrew Chafin for that bullpen. Trevor yeah. Williams, you know, had a down near last year, but can definitely bounce back. We've seen what he can do. Um, and he obviously plays in, played in a team like Pittsburgh that doesn't have a lot. You know, he was asked to do a lot more than probably what he was used to. And Chafin gives them a lefty who was there last year. I think both of those moves help, if anything. Right. I think what they did is they brought in some guys that they know if they have strong starts, they can move for pieces for prospects, whoever else, if they want, like if they're not getting as many wins as they're hoping for, for the playoffs, especially if we don't have expanded playoffs. And then they also move brought in guys that they can call up their young guys, like Brian Marquez and stuff like that, and not have any thoughts, second thoughts about holding them back because they're not going to basically hold back Marquez because of that, right? Exactly. Now, when you go out to Cleveland, another intro-divisional signing, which I love, I'm very high, Eddie Rosario signing with the Indians on a one-year deal. To me, this is a good move for the Indians, but my question is, is that does this now push you to – they traded Lindor, they traded Carrasco, so why bring in Rosario if you're not trying to make a push for the postseason – and Ooh, they're pushing for the postseason. I I hear people down on the Indians, and I shake my head just because when you start the, your team with two MVP candidates like Bieber and Ramirez, you're you're a contender. The, it, just those two alone puts you on the map. Now they brought in so many pieces in all their trades that they've done that I think people have a watered down um, awareness of what it is that they have to work with. And I think the depth that they have is going to serve them well in 2021, especially because they have so many pieces now, Kyle Quantrill's guys like that, that are actually going to get a chance to prove themselves now. And, and Josh Naylor is an awesome, Bo Naylor is going to come. There, there's a lot of, of 
really good, solid players that are going to come through there that just like last year, we had no idea about. And all of a sudden their pitching staff looks stacked again. So exactly, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. I, I like the idea of Rosario uh, uh, bringing him in because it, it does, it, what it does is it holds back from bringing up George Valera too quickly. He's their top outfield prospect. And, and you yeah. know, honestly, you can't replace Francisco Lindor in that lineup, but he provides a nice hole that Francisco Lindor left. And I think that's a big thing. Anders Jimenez is an awesome player. Like, sure. You're not getting as steep a drop as people are saying. I'm not saying he's going to be Lindor at all, <laughs> but, yeah. but he's, he's a solid player. So yeah. Yeah, they're still in there. Uh, the San Francisco Giants taking from the Bay Area, adding Tommy LaStella. Another interesting move out there in San Francisco. San Francisco could be an underrated team this year, managed by Gabe Klappler, who's a young manager who likes the analytics. And, you know, I think the Giants could be a dark horse team, even though they're in that same division with guys, with the Dodgers and the Padres. I still think they could sneak in as a wild card team if all the things go right for them. Right. And I think their plan is to hold back Joey Bart and, uh, they have another prospect there that could really change their landscape, which is Helio Ramos. And, and he's a guy to keep an eye on because he's, depending on what he did last year, and I have no knowledge of this, but he could be MLB ready and he could really change their lineup with Listella. And you put him at the bottom of the lineup, no pressure. They could, yeah, they could surprise. The, the pitching is still going to be lacking though. Unless Cueto comes out of nowhere and has a really excellent year. Um, they've got some, a lot of what you would say fourth, to fifth starters on that team. I think, uh, but one thing I think where a lot of us, Kevin Gosman stepped up last year. Yeah, he did. Kevin yeah. Gosman stepped up. The question is, is he going to be able to continue that in the right. next year? And they've got Connor Menez. They've got like a lot of guys that are, are good. And at least they got rid of the shark. <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, there's just the upside. The ceiling, I guess, is not as high as what you're going to see with the Padres and the Dodgers. I so. agree. Now we'll talk about three veterans who are signing. Former Ray Matt Moore signing in Philadelphia, Alex Avila signing in Washington, and Francisco Liriano going back to the Blue Jays on a minor league contract. Three veterans. My, I think the one with the biggest upside there is Matt Moore. He's a little bit older, into his 30s now. He's still a good pitcher, and maybe out there in Joe Girardi can get the best of him, hopefully, like he was here in Tampa. I'm pulling for him. Like the guy's gone the long route around back to being an MLB. And, and just like any great story like that, you, you want to see it work out because it's, it's a great story. And he has, he's always been one of my favorite Rays uh, pitchers from way back when. So um, I hope, I hope he comes through because the, the Phillies could use to be competitive as well, <laughs> especially so, on the mound. That's true. I want to talk about Baltimore really quick. Let's let's go into Baltimore for a second. Yeah, I tweeted what, about them. <laughs> what what are they? I'm kind of confused of what they're doing out there. To to be completely honest with you, first they signed King Felix on a minor league deal. They also bring in Wade LeBlanc on a minor league deal, and then they trade Alex Cobb to the Angels. Yeah. What's going on in in Baltimore? I mean, they also they. Added Jemai Jones, a second baseman prospect. Right. I'm confused by what Baltimore is doing out here. So they're selecting fifth in the draft coming up. And there's a third baseman. Like there's if you if you look at their prospect and you try to set up the, the future for them, 2023 onwards, let's say, they are 
very locked and loaded at most positions, except for third base, now that they have Jemai Jones. Because Jemai Jones should be, at, at a minimum, a solid second baseman in MLB if, if they give him time to develop, right? So after that, they can just concentrate on building their staff up and maybe make the key signings at that point for the pitching staff. So I, I, I really like what they're doing. I think the guys that they're adding are solid. And, and to, to, you know, Alex Cobb didn't do them very well last year. If you look at his baseball savant um, page, I mean, he was almost bottom of every single category. So they're, they're essentially not giving up anything and they're getting a potential second baseman that they can use going forward, even as a utility player, if it were, and ends up being like that. Um, I think they're doing a solid job. They're just, again, it's, it's sort of like the way the Blue Jays were under JP Ricciardi where the surface guys look great, but the depth in the minors to support the staff when injuries happen, like we saw with the race, they don't have that at all. Then they don't get it for some reason. Maybe they'll add it now that they have new management in place, but that's what's always hurt them in recent times is that they don't have the depth in the system to support the guys at the top. Exactly. Uh, going over to another team in the AL East, the Boston Red Sox signed Enrique Hernandez, better known as Kike, uh, to fill the second base hold that Dustin Pedroia not had the past few years, but to try and live up to that as Dustin Pedroia retires after a great career, you know, mm. I hats off to him seeing him yeah. in the division for as many years as we did. My hats off to the guy, a pros pro, you know, mm. but do you think Enrique Hernandez can bring a spark to this Boston team that really hasn't seen much over the past few years? Well, consistency is what he's going to bring. Right. And, and I think that's what Pedroia also brought to them was every single game. You knew you had to look out for him because he was going to play hard. He's a, he's a dirt bag, basically. Same as Evan Longoria with the Rays. Um, you need those kinds of guys. You need guys that'll keep showing up every day. And if they do want to move him around, they can, but I think he's hoping the way he's talked like uh, in his interviews after the deal, that, that he wants to be the, the regular second baseman. Now they have a lot of guys coming up like Jeter Downs who are going to be pushing the envelope. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if Jeter Downs has a hot start in the minors. I, can't I agree. You. Oh, there so, you go. Houston. <laughs> so, so another former Ray, Steven Souza, after his horrific injury, not last year, but the year before. Now getting mm. a chance out in Houston. Hopefully he'll be able to bounce back. He's still a good hitter. If you watch some of his uh, tape that he has on Twitter and his social media platforms, it still looks like he has it. And this is a low-risk, high-reward, I think, opportunity for those Houston Astros. Right. They'll give him some solid, like, they, they don't have much in the way of outfield depth. I mean, bringing Brantley back helped. So... So he'll essentially be a fourth outfielder slash DH. Um, that's many times they want to sit yeah, Alvarez, which I doubt will be very much. Uh, but he, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Souza get some first base time as well, if they can ever work that in, uh, just to keep him a little bit healthier and keep him in the lineup more often. And if uh, we've got plenty more big deals to talk about, the next one, Nolan Arenado, traded to <laughs> the Cardinals. My initial thoughts is, wow, this raise deal for Blake Snell looks better by the day. Yeah. I mean, how did the Cardinals, how were they able to rob the Rockies so easily? Well, my thoughts are that they, they had the cores kegs, you know, tapped 
and, and they had them flowing so that they got the GM over there drunk as a skunk and, and just basically let him sign there. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like I know Austin Gomber is, a, is all right. And then all of their guys are, are, you know, 40 grade guys. Um, you had to get the one guy that said, okay, this like get Nolan Gorman or get, get somebody that actually is, is going to bring like 55 value at least. You yeah. know what I mean? Like where your guys have a leader now in the minors that they can depend on. That's coming Even up. A Dylan Carlson get something. Dylan would have been tough to get. I think is the guy, the, the, the point is the cards are competing now. Right. That's, but, but yeah, somebody, anybody that just, I mean, last. there is nothing there. I, I think they only ended up giving up one top 10 prospect in their organization. If yeah, I'm not Mon- mistaken. Montero is, is going to, I think eventually he'll end up at second, but, but he's, he's a solid hitter. He, he's supposed to make it to MLB and be at least, uh, I don't want to call him impactful, but he'll be a, a regular basically, you know, in and out of the lineup, whenever you decide, depending on how well he does on his ceiling. But, but yeah, Austin Gomber, I would say, is probably the one that has the best shot at exceeding expectations out of the, out of the group. Exactly. Now let's talk a little bit about a pair of shortstops, a pair of big-name shortstops signing. Minnesota Twins signing Andrelton Simmons and the interdivision Toronto Blue Jays signing Marcus Simeon. Both of those deals to me are really interesting. But to me, even though Marcus Simeon is good, I like Andrelton Simmons as a player better. I think what he brings on the defensive side. Now my question is, is what, where are you going to play Simeon? Because you've got Bichette and Biggio who lock up that middle infield. Do you shift Bichette to third? Do you shift Simeon to second and Biggio to third? Like, what does Toronto do now with that infield? Toronto, well, basically what they got with Simeon was flexibility. Whatever it is that ends up happening – you know, in April, May, June, they can react to. So so he can play second to start. And then if Biggio really has a hard time at third, they can swap them. If Bichette has a really hard time at shortstop, they can swap them. Or they can put Bichette at third and then put, you know what I mean? So what they basically got with Semyon was a, a chameleon for the infield that holds the job until they decide what to do with them next year, whether or not they want to bring him back or to put Austin Martin somewhere in the infield or in center field. So they bought themselves that one year that they needed. And it, he's a perfect fit. He's the guy I had going to them from the, the beginning of the off season. Uh, it just made more sense than trying to trade away a whole bunch of pieces to Cleveland for Lindor. And Andrelton Simmons is a great defensive guy. He'll show up for you defensively every game. Offensively, he's extremely frustrating. He'll have spurts where he's very hot. He'll have spurts where he's non-existent. So I think they went with the more consistent offensive presence. A pair of catchers signed now. Philadelphia Phillies re-signed JT Real Muto. The Detroit Tigers signed Wilson Ramos. We saw, I think we saw JT re-signing And I actually like Wilson Ramos heading to Detroit to work with a young pitching staff, to work with Casey Mize and Spencer Turnbull, you know, some younger guys. I like that. I think, I think Ramos brings a good presence that they can rely on. Right. And he has a lot of, uh, a lot to prove. I think he recognizes that he recognizes the reason he didn't stick around with the Mets is because he let his, his defensive abilities sort of degrade over time. So I think he's going to put his work in this offseason to make sure he's caught up on what Detroit wants to do. And they, their managers or coaches are 
top notch. So they'll make sure he's ready for the season for sure. But he's a good fit for sure. I agree. A few more deals that happened around the MLB since we've recorded our last episode. Um, the first one that really sticks out to me is what the uh, New York Yankees did. They had some different things happen. They signed Corey Kluber. They traded away Automata Vino. They traded four. Um, they traded four Jamison Tyon in Pittsburgh. All these moves to sort of contend with the Rays, for lack of a better term. Your thoughts on the Yankees? <sighs> oh, so we, we also can't forget they re-signed DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, the and his comments are just outlandish, to be quite honest. Like he was basically saying that a few plays were made that changed. Sorry, you seven want to talk about a few, a few plays. plays. Like you don't get yourself in the position that they were in with just a few plays, right? That doesn't happen. And the truth of the matter is, when you look at the Yankees defensively, right? And Gio Urshela just went through surgery, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at their team overall defensively; they are not a playoff team unless we expand the playoffs. That's my thoughts. And the major reason for that is because when you look at a 162-game season, even if they shorten it to 154, I don't expect for one second Tyon and Kluber to be available in the playoffs. I really don't. I can't bank on that just because of the history from the two. I would put more weight on Chris Archer being available because I know the Rays can take steps back, forward. They have the guys in the minors to take over. What do the, the Yankees traded away their depth to get Tyon and Kluber on board. So now if those guys fall off, now I will say that they have a few surprise guys, right? They have guys like Louis Medina. Uh, they have guys like Clark Schmidt, who, guys who could, you know, come out of nowhere and do whatever. But I saw Domingo Herman uh, pitch in, in the lead on, and, and he did not look good. <laughs> he did not look yeah. anywhere near MLB ready. Um, and then there's just behind Jarrett Cole, there's just this, quagmire of questions and, and they can figure it out it might happen but even then let's say they figure that out how does their pen look will chapman facing brossel in the playoffs next time or you know all season long uh, you have so many things with the yankees that i just shake my head and i go how did they end up here being so like penny conscious that they're stuck going after guys they really shouldn't have any business if they're if, if George Steinbrenner was still around. Trevor Bauer would be a Yankee. No doubt about it. And he would have Cole Bauer and everybody else thereafter. Right. And now you're stuck with what they have, which is just, I, I don't know. It's underwhelming is what I would say. The ceiling is high. Don't get me wrong. And, and whatever work they put in healthy will be great. But over the long season, I think it's going to catch up to them, especially defensively and their pitching help. Defensively. I agree. You also have to think, how injury prone are all these guys they're bringing in? I mean, it's crazy how injury prone all these guys are. Let's talk about a three-team trade that went down. More pitching headed to San Diego. Never thought I could say enough of that. <laughs> Joe Musgrove, also of the Pirates, heading to the Padres in a three-team deal that saw Joey Lucchesi head back to the New York Mets. Um, a bunch of prospects heading to Pittsburgh. Again, I don't know what San Diego's doing. I, I understand that, you know, they're trying to get over that hump, especially now with the Dodgers signing Trevor Bauer, which we haven't even got into yet. But 
what what is San Diego doing here with all this starting pitching? Are they gearing up to try to trade for someone big? Like, do you really need eight top of the line starting pitchers? In 2021, it's not a bad idea. I just don't know how you appease them all, right? Like, you you the way that they're interesting is that Blake Snell's a five inning pitcher, generally speaking, right? Um, so a lot of their their emphasis is going to be on filling in those four innings behind them. If they get six out of them, great, but they're not going to get much more than that, more than likely. Uh, and then you have you Darvish, who came from Japan and was used to, to pitching once a week, right? So they're the ideal candidate for a six-man rotation, right? Where you have the, the starters hopefully going further. So then they can expect Snell to go seven, right? Because they can wear him down a little bit more knowing he's going to get that extra rest on the other end. And you can use one of those other guys as a swing guy if a guy has a bad night and ends up getting pulled early. So that's what I think is going to happen with Chris Paddock or somebody that's younger and needs more time to kind of assimilate within – major league baseball so they'll use them more in that dustin may role that the dodgers ended up using him right uh i think that's where they're headed and that's where the head is at and then if there's an injury they can just pop them right back into the rotation they're good to go it makes sense in, in a way and the last two big signings that we'll get into before we talk about trevor bauer both to the blue jays kirby yates and george springer coming to toronto hmm. This makes Toronto, in my opinion, the second team in the AL East. Right. I still think, you know, people are all like, oh, it's going to be the Yankees and the Blue Jays. How are you going to count out the Rays, first of all, who just won it by seven games and made it to the World Series? And second of all, if anything, the Rays have gotten better. The Rays are going to gain from experience. But I think this makes the Blue Jays the number two team in the AL East. So if I look at the guys the Rays are bringing in, like Wander Franco is coming at some point in 2021. I firmly believe that. Even if it's not him, if it's Vidal Brujan and, and Taylor, Taylor Walls, right? So let's say you take all of those guys, you package them together, and you say within that nest, you have something even to Marcus Semyon, okay? And then you say George Springer basically elevated the Blue Jays to the point where they're matched up with the Rays. Okay, let's just say that you say that the Yankees take a step back because now you have the Jays and the Rays, right, kind of tied together. Now, if you want to take the Rays down a notch because of Snell and Morton leaving, I would contend that when you look at the regular season, that's not the case because they were only there for six wins. Uh, If you don't think that um, between Waka, Patino, Archer, yet that you're not going to get six wins worth, right? I'll prorate it. Uh, you are. So I think if you look at the depth of the system over the season where everybody's going to be looking for depth, you have to put the Rays ahead of the Yankees. So to me, yeah, it's Rays and Jays, Yankees, and then Red Sox are not far behind the Yankees, to tell you the truth. If Chris Sale comes back healthy, I. I don't know. It, it could go either way for the Yankees. It is hard to tell where that's going. Now, let's talk about the big deal. Many people considered him the top free agent. Trevor Bauer has landed back home in Los Angeles. If you ask me, this is the one of the worst deals in MLB history. And let me tell you why. First of all, this man had one good season where he won a Cy Young. Yes, he was good, but... Not, not anything special. He was a three-starter at best. 
a three, maybe a two. Okay. Next, he is making an absolute mockery of himself on social media. I'm sorry. I love watching his YouTube videos when he's inside the clubhouse talking about how a clubhouse worked during a COVID season. That was great. But no offense to him and Rachel Luba, who is his agent. They're making a mockery of themselves on social media, going against these MLB uh, analysts or whatever you want to call them, plus the way they're trying to market it. Third of all, I don't know that Bauer can handle the LA media. And fourth of all, the fact that he's making more than the Pittsburgh's entire roster and close to making what the Rays roster is making, he is not worth $40 million a year. He is worth, if you look at it to me, maybe 25 a year. Your thoughts? Andrew Friedman's a very intelligent man, and he's looking at it this way. They've already had the baby uh, Julio Urias and a bunch of their younger guys through what has happened, right? All of them have minimal innings to this point. None of them are trained to be 200 inning pitchers. He needed to bring in someone that they could count on to carry the innings load um, and, and keeping everybody else. So the, I would say that the 40 million is worth it because it's going to save other arms, not because of the performance he can put up. I'm with you. I don't think he's going to perform the same way in LA that he did in Cincinnati because the competition, if you look at his opponents in 2020, it's ridiculous how soft it was ridiculous. So it's, it's one of those things where I think he's going to have a hard time against San Diego. He's going to get lit up in Colorado there's going to be things that happen to Trevor Bauer that LA isn't counting on, but they don't care. They can put up the points. They can win a lot of those games. What they want is the innings. And they, the only guy that was on the market that was going to give you those innings guaranteed was actually him. It's not Jake Odorizzi. It's not Taiwan Walker. It's not, you know what I mean? So who else was out there that they could go and get unless they made a trade. So they were basically just saying, you know what, for this year, he might even opt out after one or two years. And to be quite honest, LA is a hard town to get marketing time. Like you look at the the, the angels and they're saying, we have Mike Trout. We can't get any airtime with anybody. <laughs> He's basically a no man's land and LeBron takes up all the limelight. So what Trevor Bauer does is he brings baseball to closer to the front of the line when it comes to media attention in LA. And that has value too. So that's what I would say about Trevor Bauer signing there. It, it made sense in those ways. It saves their innings. It, it, it brings them marketing avenues that they didn't have before. Clayton Kershaw is not a marketing magnet. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I agree. But let me ask you this question. Now that he is in LA, I think the only reason he chose LA, yes, we'll give it to him that he's close to home and all that. He would get lit up by the New York media. I was talking to one of my uh, one of my mentors who's Probably. who has done media for years. Yeah, he agreed with me in saying that Bauer would get lit up by the by the New York media. And no offense to anyone in LA, but LA right now is a basketball town. He mm -hmm. can fly a little more under the radar than he could in New York. I don't think that's what he wants, though. He wants to make baseball the talk, right? He wants to. He, <laughs> it's one of those things where I agree with him on, on the peripheral of what he's doing, right? Which is baseball has no marketing clue whatsoever, how to, how to bring itself up. It, it really doesn't. I don't know who's running the marketing program in major league baseball, but they need to fire all of them and then rehire younger staff. 
And I think they did that because when you look at the, 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 the video, the way they treated the video, right? Remember on Twitter for a while, you, they weren't sharing any more videos, especially from the minors from everywhere. And now you have this MLB room where you can go online and make up your own videos of all these highlights and tweet them out and put them on Facebook. And so I think they've cleaned house. They've, they're kind of learning from guys like Trevor Bauer. And I think it will benefit baseball in general. Like there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of controversy. Yes, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And, and, and his approach is a little bit offstandish sometimes. But a lot of what he says is accurate. And, and I think we need to listen to a lot of it. I agree with his message being good. And I think we're starting to see the MLB try and get younger with the, mm-hmm. with the additions that they're bringing into their headquarters, like Ken Griffey Jr., a yep. huge signing for the MLB. You know, Great. I yeah. love it. I love it completely. The mm-hmm. first big, not necessarily first big marketing guy, but a huge marketing guy. You know what I mean? He, he is, he was the face of MLB for 20 some for 20 years. You know, he still yep. is nowadays. We've seen him on the cover of the MLB video games. We still hear everyone, anyone who's probably three to four years older than me or even my age. Oh, who was your favorite player growing up? Ken Griffey Jr. Whose swing did you try to imitate while you're sitting outside playing wiffle ball? Ken Griffey Jr. You know, me growing up here in Tampa, I always tried to swing like Evan Longoria because that was the guy, you know what I mean? But, but it's things like that. While I like what Trevor Bauer is doing, and I think it's going to be good for baseball, I think he needs to tone it down a little bit. The stuff on Twitter and the way they get into it with these MLB reporters is not classy on either side for the reporters or the agency. Because I think what the reporters do is they hear rumors from inside front offices and they tweet those out. And then the agent's like, well, no, no, you're completely wrong and false. You, you got to understand that sometimes their sources may not be the same as you. And teams could be spreading other information than what you are as an agency. Right. And I think what Trevor Bauer is missing is that a lot of times the reporters are the tools of, of teams, right? And of, of MLB. They're being used to send certain messages out at certain times because it's strategically advantageous to certain teams. It doesn't mean it's accurate all the time. It doesn't mean sometimes it's to get a deal pushed in the right direction. Sometimes it's to take away from something else that's going on somewhere else. Whatever the reason, it's not his arena, right? He's not a reporter. Let them do their job, do your job. And that's the way it should basically be. I agree 1000%. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk top 100 prospects coming out here from the MLB. Rays at the top there, like we expected. We'll dive Mm -hmm. a little more into that. Matt came out with a list on Twitter of his top 50 Rays prospects. We'll hint on that a little bit. We'll also talk about a former Rays prospect now being moved in a deal from Oakland to Texas. We'll get you right back after this break here on In the Tank. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back after that quick little break for you guys. A few minutes for us here on the other end. First thing I want to talk about is let's go into the steal we hinted at before uh, taking a break. Elvis Andrews uh, switching over to Oakland in exchange for Chris Davis. There were some other prospects involved, including going from Oakland to Texas. The number nine prospect in the A's system, Jonah Heim, former Rays prospect, actually. Your initial thoughts on this deal? I, I like it for both teams. I think that both of them had some, some changes to make. 
Uh, it's funny, people are, are noting how many uh, opening days Elvis Andrews was a part of with the Rangers and how long he'd been like a mainstay there. So how weird it's going to be for him to be in, the, in Oakland. It's true. But they get to fill their, their hole at shortstop, which they really needed to do. And they needed to do it in a way that they can actually afford. So I don't know if, if people remember, but Jonah Heim was basically sent to um, Oakland in return for Joey Wendell, basically. He was the player to be named later. So uh, I think it was worthwhile for the race. <laughs> but having said that, jo uh, Jonah Heim is, uh, is still a solid uh, prospect or catcher, I guess you could say now, um, that'll do well in, in Texas as well. And then they don't give him playing time for sure. And you and, you and I were talking about this. I actually was there day one when Jonah Heim came over to Tampa when mm -hmm. he, when he, cause he was traded from, I can't remember where to Tampa and then Tampa to Oakland the following year. Right. Um, I believe it was Baltimore for in the Steve Pierce deal. If I'm not right. mistaken, it was him for Steve Pierce straight up, which That's turned right. into Joey Wendell, obviously, and so on and so forth. He's a great guy character wise, but he's great defensively. The big question mark in his game is the bat coming around. No, for sure. I, and I think, like I said, he'll get the playing time. That's basically what he needs. A lot. He's at the age now, like Francisco Mejia, where, where he's getting um, to the point where he needs MLB time or, uh, you know, a chance to prove that his bat can play at the MLB level. And what's funny about that is now you have also in, in Baltimore, um, uh, got Nick Shufo, who's uh, battling for playing time over there. So between those two, Kirk Asali and Luke Miley signing with the Jays again, then you have, you know, a plethora of X-rays prospects, catchers that are going to be battling for roles. And we have Mike Zanino and Francisco Mejia now. So yeah. take, take that as, as you wish. Now let's talk about first, before we get into these top hundred prospects, G-Man Choi winning his arbitration case, getting $2.4 million this year. Rays offered one85 Fair, unfair. What What are your thoughts on this? Oh, I, I think it's fair for sure. And I think especially like you can look at his stats in so many different ways, but uh, the switch hitting aspect really impacted his numbers in 2020. And I think the arbitrators must have um, recognized that. But when you add in his defensive abilities and what he does, I if I was his agent at that point in that hearing, I just show play after play of a 260 pound man doing the splits at first with the glove and snagging balls out of the dirt, left, right, and center. And it's just a, an easy sell at that point. Uh, he's a great teammate, great makeup guy. I know they don't include all that kind of stuff in, uh, in the arbitration hearings, but I'm glad for him that he, uh, that he gets the deal that he deserves. And what it'll do is it'll make him that much more expensive next year though. Uh, which then brings up more questions about then. I agree. And I think one thing that in these arbitration hearings is never brought up or maybe not as considered as heavily is what kind of impact they bring to the team, not mm -hmm. on a playing level, but in the clubhouse. Because G-Man Choi is loved both by the fans and his teammates in the clubhouse. Yeah. We've seen what he does with Brett Phillip. We've seen, mm -hmm. you know, the way they joke around and everything like that. So I think even though... The Rays wish they would have won. It's a great deal for G-Man. Yeah. And did you see his gun show on Twitter? Yeah, I think that was a little flexing on the Rays a little bit, just to say. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, Yandy Diaz must have had an impact on his training regimen because those those pipes are ready to roll, man. Apparently, him and Yandy are going for who got who has the biggest muscles in Tampa Bay. You know, yeah. No bench clearing brawls in Yale East. That's all I'm gonna say. Hey, <laughs> if there years. is, I'm backing our boys. You know what I mean? Right. I, I'd be scared to face Tampa right now in a bench clearing brawl. For sure. Unless maybe the only team who I'd be a little bit scared of is the Yankees, just because of how big Judge and Stanton are. Height-wise, they're still fragile. They're going down in a heap. <laughs> no, you know, I think I think I'm not worried about them because they'll probably be injured by the second week of the season. That's right. <laughs> now let's talk about the big thing that is always on the minds of Tampa Bay fans: the top 100 prospects. Let's start at the top. All of us saw this coming. Wander Franco, baseball's number one prospect. I think the big question here: when is he coming up? June. Unless they sign him first, uh, June is when we're going to see him. Uh, and I say that because I know there's probably going to be a delay in the minor league season start. Um, so somewhere in June, whether the beginning or the end, I think is when we're going to see him and he'll be there forever. Um, you'll be able to bank on Wander Franco probably leading off by the time the playoffs come around. I think it'll be a lot like Randy Rosarena where they'll have him at the lower parts of the lineup to start just to kind of ease him in. And within a short period of time, he'll prove to be one of the best hitters on the team and he'll be leading off from then on. Number 19, Luis Patino, right-handed pitcher. No shock there coming over from San Diego. Good spot for him. And I think we see him up in the MLB this year. Yep. And I would have had him in the top 10 for sure. Uh, same with Randy Arozarena. Just, uh, you know what, like, a lot of these rankings are so 34, subjective. 34, really? Yeah, I know. I, and I will get to that. But Patino, I mean, I think even when you look at Pipeline's rankings or Baseball America's or anybody's, you have to group guys within 25, right? So anybody in the top 25 can make an argument for being the top guy. Clayton Kershaw was never the top guy, right? He was somewhere in seven, eight, nine. So it's fine. 19 is fine. The way they graded him is fine as well. Like they, he has a lot of work to do to, to get the best out of him. But I like the write-ups that they have on all the raised guys. If you read through them, they all make sense. Randy Arozarena. Now let's get into him. Number 34, 25, but 55 hit 60 power, 55 arms, 65 run, 50 fielding seems a little low to me. Right. I, I don't like to tweet like pick, nitpicky things at that pipeline guys or at baseball America guys. Cause I know it's a, it's a hard thing to rank guys left, right and center. Right. But in this case I did. And I made my opinion kind of known. If you watched baseball in 2020 and you watched the playoffs, what he did uh, was historic. So if you're not able to assess that properly with what we saw, then you probably shouldn't be doing that ranking because there's no way in hell he should be 34th on this list at all. <laughs> I don't know who ranked him lower. And, but. and my big thing too is that people are saying, oh, well, can he do it over a full season? He did it against some of the best pitching in the league. Yes. And like, how can you take that and say, oh, well, it was the postseason. It's, it's different. Oh, it was COVID season. It's different. I'm sorry, but if anything, this was the most stressful postseason of all time. The hardest postseason to perform in of all time. I am sorry, but if you don't see Randy Rosarena 
as a top 20, let alone top 10 prospect who yes. can continue to do it. I think you're crazy. In my opinion, he was top 10. He's somewhere between eight and 10. You can make an argument for, I get that the ceiling might not be as high. Like he might not, he, he's not Mike Trout, right? Let's just put it there. But his bat speed and being able to handle pitches off the plate away uh, as well as inside and anywhere. There's nowhere you can throw him. And there's so few guys in Major League Baseball that you can say that about. There's nowhere you can pitch him where you're safe. So that's what makes Randy Rosarena special. And that's why I had so much faith when they got him for Liberator. And for some reason, rankings guys, once they have a guy like they, they, they have a question, it's somewhere, they have a hard time changing that, even when they see him dominate in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I agree. Now let's go to number 50, rounding out the top 50, Vidal Brujan coming in right at 50. I think I it's maybe a little low for him, but the grades they gave him are great. 60 hit, 40 power, which I agree with. 70 on the run, 55 on the arm. The fielding is a little low at 55 with, for a 55 overall. Right. I, I agree with all of the grades. I just think it might take him a little bit longer to get to those levels than people would like. So I don't know once he gets in, whether or not he sticks around if he struggles for a bit or whether they send him back down and, and he does a little bit more back and forth. But the grades are all great. The ranking, yeah, it's a little bit lower, but I think they were trying to integrate a lot of the draft players as well in this ranking. Coming in at number 72, is Brendan McKay. We've seen what he does pitching-wise. A question that I posed in a group chat to a few guys. Is his two-way status done? It's so hard to tell with the Rays and the way baseball is going now. Uh, We can't see, like I said before, everything that's gone on off the field in in 2020 um, or on, you know, various sites. So I would say that if his shoulder health is not optimal, then pitching might end and they might go full hitting. If his shoulder can hold up and he can strengthen it to the way where he can get regular pitching, then he'll stay a pitcher because he's more dominant as a pitcher than as a hitter. But I think people do underrate his potential as a hitter. Should he be taking that on full time? So it's a, just like Otani, it's a, it's a coin flip at this point. I agree. Now let's talk about two back-to-back Rays prospects at 84 and 85 with Shane McClanahan and Xavier Edwards. McClanahan coming in at 84 is a left-handed pitcher. Many people expect him to be up at the MLB level this year, like he was for a little bit last year. Xavier Edwards, they have him starting at double A, MLB ETA 2022. Both guys very deserving to be on here. Again, I think with a lot of Rays prospects, surprise they're not higher. Again, that comes down to the whole, once you've made your mind up, can you change it? And, and I think that if, if Shane McClanahan had louder secondaries and if Xavier Edwards had shown any extra power, they'd both be in the top 50 as well. Um, I just think uh, both of them, when you look at their potential, and where, what teams they're on and, and what work they have to put in to get that extra. So with Edwards, you know he's going to hit Major League Baseball pitching. You know that. Just on the, on the hit tool, the lack of swing and miss, he's like Nick Magical, basically. He's just, he's that great, a contact guy. So 
can he add strength? He's a young guy. Yeah, he's going to add strength. He's going to go in the Randy Rosarena 300 push-up a day program if he wants. Like, he's going to add that strength, right? So if he's making contact and he gets stronger, he's going to become a gap machine or he's going to, you know, improve his ISO uh, to the point where he becomes a superstar. So I, I get the, the risk is is low on both is what I would say. The ceiling is extremely high, just as high as anybody in the 20 to 50 range. Next, the last race prospect to round out the top 100 and number 90, Shane Bass. Interesting spot. Yeah, I don't know how much we're going to see him in, in, in Major League Baseball this year, but if, if he remains a prospect for 2022, he's going to be in the top 15 or somewhere around where Patino is. Uh, I believe that for sure. I, I would be surprised if we don't see him much this year. Um, it, it basically would mean that we had a really healthy staff, which would be great. <laughs> but um, it, it's a solid spot for him. At least he's on the list now, and he should have been last year. Um, so I'm glad that he's there, and hopefully he gets some games to prove himself uh, early on there in, this, in the year. Oh, I agree 100%. Now let's talk about, you know, you, you rank top 50 Rays prospects. Is there anyone that the Rays can expect? Who's going to have the biggest jump? Let's put it that way. Who is going to have the biggest uh, jump? To pick just one? <laughs> Three or four if you want to. <laughs> oh, there's so many guys. Um, and, and a lot of the, the ones that might surprise are guys that they traded for. Um, like somebody like Blake Hunt could easily end up on a top 100 prospects next year. Um, but uh, if I had to go with, with somebody that, that nobody kind of expects to come out uh, swinging, uh, give me a sec here. Let me think. Everybody knows about Joe Ryan. Everybody knows. So it's hard to pick just the one. I think, you know what? I'll go with two guys and they're both guys coming back from injury that, that we don't know much about what has gone on since they were injured. So Michael Mercado and Austin Franklin, two guys that, that I think are, they're off the map altogether right now. Nobody's really paying attention much to them in all the rankings and they have the tools to be solid major league pitchers. Uh, if they make good on their ceilings. So I think they'll put themselves on the map, whether or not they reach double A this year or, or you know, um, depending on how the season goes, that it even comes off. Um, but I would say those two names are, are names to watch that could move really quickly. I, I agree with you there. I think there are a few names for me that st stick out to me the most. I'll start with some of the guys in your top 50 here. Um, the first one that sticks out to me that I think could be huge for the Rays is a guy like you have him at number 42, Moses Gomez. I really like his ceiling and I think we could see a big jump and a big improvement from him this year. Yeah. I, I've been ranking guys pretty tough nowadays when they, when they show certain traits. So I'll give you an example, Jesus Sanchez, right? I was one of the first ones to pipe him up when, when he was coming out of the DSL because I liked a lot of, the, of his peripherals and his, his statistics. And I talked to a few guys who had seen him and said, he's going to light up basically the minors. And so I watched him really closely coming up through the ranks. And as soon as they get to high a double a, when you start seeing the strikeout totals really increase and the walks 
basically non-existent, that's a really big red flag. And as soon as that happened with Jesus Sanchez, the Rays were like, okay, we're going to put him on the market and see what we can get. Because you can get the best out of those guys, but it's going to take you a long time to get there. And their timeline, especially with the way the Rule 5 works and everything else, just wasn't available to them to do that. With Moises Gomez, they've lucked out. He hasn't gotten selected by anyone. So they've had a lot more lengthier time to look at him. It's been two years now. Nobody took him on the Rule 5. I would put a, uh, a very high risk on Moises Gomez, uh, but the potential is, is very high as well. I agree. Going into some of your top 51 through 100 that you did not by number, but by name. Um, some guys I like to look at, Dalton Kelly being one of them. I feel like he's a name that a lot of Rays fans have heard if you watch any minor league baseball. Uh, similar to a guy like a Tristan Gray or even a Miles Mascarboni. Um, I also really like Phoenix Sanders as well. He's another guy on that list. And then also definitely love looking at Ryan Bolt as well. Those are some guys that I think could see, depending on what happens with the minor leagues, I think could see really good seasons this year. For sure. They, they're all guys who, who uh, like when I was talking about the Yankees and their depth issues or the, the Orioles and their depth issues, they're the guys that the Rays have in the minors, like a Josh Fleming, that can just come out of the blue. And if they need them, let's say Jiman Choi has a really hard time in, with a hamstring. Or, or something like that, where they can pop them in the lineup and all of a sudden they surprise and they can hit, you know, at a, an above average rate. And I would say as much as Michael Mercado and Austin Franklin could surprise on the mound, Garrett Whitley and Ryan Bolt are the same in the outfield. They're two guys that have the tools and abilities to really put up good seasons. So keep an eye on those two. I agree 100%. Let's field a few questions that we got from Twitter. The first one is... The left-handed reliever market has been a little weird this year. Um, do we see the Rays go after any more help in that bullpen was the first question. Uh, yeah. I, I, You know what? There, there's uh, like Jake McGee is a good example, right? He's still available. And although I think he'll go back to the Dodgers or to uh, a more mainstream team, there's always the chance that he's not getting the offers he wants. And that once that 60-day IL opens up, that he decides that the Rays are a good option. He knows the the, the team really well. He's another reunion candidate. Uh, Rich Hill is, is probably more likely than Jake McGee, um, but would also cost a, you know, a significant amount for the Rays. Now that they know they're not getting Ozuna, they have enough money to go after basically any left-hander left on the market, to be honest. What is the likelihood of a Jake Odorizzi reunion here in Tampa? They already bragged brought back Archer. Let's bring back the whole 2014 pitching staff. Let's call it. Let's get Matt Moore down here. Let's bring David Price in from, from Los Angeles. Let's just bring back a reunion, shall we? I think David Price is a good idea for the Angels. Like if, if they can get Joe Madden to, to hike him up to, to Anaheim, he probably wouldn't have to move his house. He's probably got some, you know, a nice pad there and, and it would make a lot of sense. They may be, I mean, the Red Sox are paying 16 million of his 32 for each this year and next year. So you're only on the hook for 16 million, even if the Dodgers have to cover five or 6 million. Um, that, that's one way they could open it up. And, and the reason Dodgers would do that is because he might not decide to pitch at all if COVID is still rampant. And, and let's also, we know how much he loves Joe Madden. He has a full no trade clause, but he has yep. expressed the want, even when he was in Chicago, to play for Joe Madden again. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, 
uh, maybe not right away, maybe down the road, but I think it's a plausible scenario. For for Odorizzi and the Rays, I just, I feel like for some reason or another, when they looked at him, when Neander took over, they decided to flip the switch and, and send him off for almost nothing, like literally nothing. And that's after he had put up like 170, 180 innings. So for anybody to sell me that they're going to all of a sudden turn the page and, and give him millions, I just, I can't see it. There's something about his stuff that they don't like for whatever reason. And and you, to be quite honest, like he's done solid job, but he hasn't been, you know, a number three or above overall. So I, I can see the agreement there. The only reason I'd say bring him back to Tampa is a similar reason to like bringing Chris Archer back. Maybe see if you can get the bounce back of the Jake Odorizzi when he first came up, similar to what they're trying to do with Archer. I mean, because I think you could see a a rotation of Glasnow, Waka, Archer, Odorizzi, and then whether you want to do Fleming, whether whoever you want to make that fifth starter, that could be a really good rotation. So let let me ask you this. So if if the Rays did bring in Odorizzi, right, um, and you're going up against the Yankees, do you have more faith that Patino can get Yankees out or Odorizzi? That's a great question because I don't think there's a yeah. answer for that. I think it all depends for me on if the Rays bring back Odorizzi, which we don't know that they'll do at all. Can they get him back to what he was before Neander came in, took over and traded him because he was a good starting pitcher. And I think if Odorizzi can get back to what he was, I trust him over Patino right now. But just based on their stuff alone right now, I'm, I would want to hand the ball to Patino. Yeah. It, it, it's, so you're, I'm imagining, okay, so the beginning of the season, Patino gets to work on his changeup. They get that solid. They have the horse whisperer in Tampa that can manage him through innings and major league level once he gets there. And you're working through the season. If Patino. I'm the Yankees, I don't want to face Patino because one, I've never seen him. I've never scouted him very much. So he's a fresh face, a fresh arm that I don't know. Two, his velocity is ridiculous. So I have less reaction time to work with. But and uh, Go ahead. I think one thing that could be discounted is do you bring in Odorizzi? You obviously know what he brings. Maybe he does well here in Tampa. And then at the deadline, ship him to someone like the Angels or something like that, bring in a maybe a mid-level prospect, but bring him in and use him as a bridge guy until McKay comes back or Patino's ready and then ship him off somewhere. I haven't done the research on this, but maybe it's something we can look up and talk about next week. But how many, since Neander took over, how many pitchers have they traded away that would be considered starters since he took over in, in mid-season? It's got to be high. Like, I don't know if there's any. It's always been done in the offseason. Well, Archer was traded midseason. Oh, right. That's the one. Yeah. So that would be one for sure. And and that, that was in a season where they weren't competing. But since that trade. I don't, I can't really think of any, honestly. Yeah. So they, they've sort of, because I guess the injuries also come into play where they're looking to attract more. I don't know. I, I think that there's a whole, uh, off-season plan that gets put in place in Tampa where they go with the depth that they have and then once they have it 
unless there's a real particular need that they they have to go out and get a reliever, a, a key piece here or there. I think more, more than likely they stick with what they have, the depth that they built. Like guys like Chris Ellis or uh, who's the other guy that they brought in? Um, David Hess are, are two guys, for example, that I could see them, you know, having in AAA ready to go if, if guys fell off the map, which to be quite honest, can give you the same performance as Jake Odorizzi. <laughs> that's that's the way I see it. I, I agree. Let's talk about um, some minor league guys who the Rays have invited to spring training. No shock that Wander Franco was invited to spring training, as well as Dalton Kelly, infielder Esteban Quirzo, uh, Brett Sullivan, a catcher and outfielder, and then Adrian DeHorta and Yaxel Rios, are two invites that they had among many, many others that they have as well. Are you shocked by this? Are you excited? What What are your thoughts? Wanda Franco is a great, uh, yeah, he, he has to be there. Well, you knew he was going to be because he was there for the playoffs. So they let him watch. And now I, I think because they know they're going to be under the gun to make decisions come June about whether or not to bring him up, they need to see what he has to offer it and to sell Kevin Cash on the fact that he is worthy of, of coming in and taking over whatever innings or at-bats um, that they want to give him. So the, the one that I like the most, though, out of the bunch, like I don't want to say like the most, but the one that I'm most intrigued about is uh, Adrian DeHorda. To me, he's the guy that, that can, can really come in and surprise a lot of people the same way John Curtis did last year. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a good two to three inning guy that they can call on when they need him. I don't know that he's going to get the opening that he needs to actually make the roster right away. Uh, but if they like him enough, I could see them, you know, uh, making a deal or two to open up space for him. Um, he's fresh. He's got, I love the stuff I've seen from him on Twitter and, and on uh, a couple of the sites that, that show his mechanics just looks really smooth and easy. Uh, and I can't believe Anaheim let him go, to be honest. With all the holes they have pitching-wise, you would have thought they'd hang on to him. But, yeah. So, I, Dalton Kelly will be nice to see. Brett Sullivan's been there every year. They need catchers in spring training. Makes a lot of sense. And he played in all winter. So, he's he's good to go. Uh, I like his speed. I like him more as an outfielder, personally, anyway. So, uh, we'll see. Um, A report, I don't know how accurate this is, um, but we'll bring it up here. It looks like, from what I've heard, Roberto Osuna was just DFA'd. Okay. So that opens up a question. Uh, do we see Osuna maybe come to Tampa to add another arm to this raised bullpen? Nah, I really don't. Uh, it, it's just because of the people make mistakes in their lives and they make, you know, it, it's a headache that a lot of teams have walked away from uh, a lot of prominent teams that, that are trying to compete. Um, so I think it, it's one of those times where you have to let bygones be bygones and go with the good feels that you have in your pen. Um, they're not going to let Nick Anderson or Pete, uh, you know, Peter, Pete Fairbanks um, have some guy come in and try to take the role over that he feels like he's adequate for. I think more than likely you'll see Osuna, um, try to work his way back within a franchise that isn't really competing right away. Like I could see a, a team like uh, the Tigers taking a shot on Osuna, for example. 
uh, where their, their end locker room, so to speak, to compete isn't really all made up yet. And he can kind of work his way back within that. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to compete right away, you need that gelling without the headaches, you know, uh, room to work with, I think, anyway. Another thing that we saw is Mike Fires re-signing a deal. I'm surprised he still has a job, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> with, with the allegations he has, I'm surprised he still has a job. And why the hell is he making $3.5 million? If he's making $3.5 million, I feel like I can pitch just as good as him right now. Michael Walker has got to be angry a little bit. Like he, if, if, if Mike fires is getting 3.5, why is he getting three? I mean, if you look at their ceilings, Michael Walker could probably make a good argument for four to five based on that. And, right? and let's not forget the fact that Michael Walker is not a pedophile to our knowledge. <laughs> let's, let's not forget that fact. I think that's a pretty important fact that we're leaving out right there. I missed that one. I, I thought you were talking about the Houston Astros thing. I, I didn't even hear the news about yeah Mike Fires, Fires on, like on earlier front. this year uh during the whole quarantine period it came out that he uh was doing some very inappropriate things with a underage female on Instagram and she had it posted and there's a whole investigation ongoing right now wow I had no idea that's yeah. all new to me so yeah. <laughs> okay but, but you see guys like Chapman or guys like this were or you know, who have domestic violence or even a guy like um, the guy in Pittsburgh. Um, oh, Vasquez. Vasquez. This, this white fires one has gone under the table and I'm very shocked. But yes, yes. he is, according to all reports that and it, the police are investigating according to sources. Wow. I'm surprised Oakland took him there. And they, with the offer they made to Marcus Semyon, it sounds to me like they made they they offered Mike Fires more. <laughs> so. Honestly, honestly, it's pretty crazy. Um, Matt, before we go, wrapping up this week, tomorrow the big game in Tampa Bay. First time a home team has played in the Super Bowl. I know we're a baseball podcast, but it's hard not to talk about it with the championships that are in Tampa Bay. Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, Rowdy's doing as well as they did, uh, getting to the comp, uh, the finals in the USL before it was canceled, so crowned co-champions. The race to the World Series, now the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. Champa Bay, I mean, there's no, it's 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 sticking. What a time for a guy like me who's in Tampa Bay. But what a time for sports in general in a market that not many people see as a sports market. Yeah, it's amazing. Like a, a lot of people doubted the fact that Tom Brady could do what he's doing and, and, and elevate the team to another level. And it's nice to see. It's, it's a good reward for a lot of the players on that team that kind of struggled to, to stay on the map. So I'm, I'm really happy to see it. And I really think they're going to pull it off. I, I think the key is going to be the defense you know, bringing it to Pat Mahomes and, and being patient. You have to pick your spots with them. You can't just attack them full out all the time. But uh, I, I think they're going to – I know the Buccaneers are going to put up 30 points. The, the question is, are are the Chiefs going to be keeping up or are they going to be able to hold them back? We saw what the Bucks defense did against Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, so the defense can do it. The question is, is will they be able to fire on all cylinders? And it's going to come down to how the secondary plays. Right. My big thing that I've told everyone I've talked to so far is it's going to come down to both sides of the ball in the red zone. 
can the defense make the big stops like they did against Green Bay? And can yeah. they capitalize on their opportunities in the red zone? Because if right. they can do that, it's going to be hard to beat this Tampa Bay team. And what I Tom Brady proved this yeah. year, everyone had the question of whether he was the greatest of all time. If you ask me, this proved it. He proved that he is not, he was not relying on Belichick. Belichick right. was relying on Brady. They were a match made in heaven, to be quite honest. But they, uh, the, the the keys that I see that you should watch for in the game, I hope I'm right. But Devin White needs to be like glue on Travis Kelsey. And the secondary needs to stay healthy. For some reason, they all fell apart against the Saints. And you saw in the second half, and the same thing with the Packers. So they need to stay healthy and keep the pressure on Tariq Hill. Because if he gets going, it's going to be hard. And, you know, as much as I hate to say it and bring up this comparison, we need the Bucks to close out unlike the Rays were able to do when they pulled Snell and Nick Anderson gave up runs. I hate to say it, but it's true. They've got to close. So, so don't get, don't go for the kick, the, the kick while they're, you know, 18 yards out. No, Is that what you're saying? Gotta go you for it. the ball, go for it. Cause, cause hold on here. Football's a numbers game. You go for it on the two yard line on fourth and goal. Great. Say you miss great. You've mixed up, you've pushed them back all the way in their own end zone where you can cause the safety, get the ball back easily, have good field position. Or if you go for it and score, that's six points on the board. You know, yeah. it's it's great. So let's hope we see Tampa win. Do you have a score prediction? I do. I, I went with uh, 36-27 for, for the Buccaneers. I'm going to say, and this is what I've said to everyone, I've got a 27-24 Buccaneers victory. Last second field goal by Ryan Suckup to win it in Tampa Bay. Wow. Okay, how many yards away? <laughs> it's going to be a 37-yard field goal on the left hash. Oh, man. You're, you're getting specific now. <laughs> on the left hash. Hey, he is – and th- people call me crazy for saying this, but it's true. You want to know one thing that led the bus to the Super Bowl last time? A great defense and a great kicker, Martin Gramatica. What yeah. led them this year? A great defense and a great kicker. Uh-huh. Just saying. Coincidence? Yeah, there's 55 guys on the team, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> give it to a lot more. Kicking woes, taking a kicker in the second round, not being able to make a kick. Those are behind Tampa, hopefully. Uh, any big things before we leave and record next week? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to seeing what Ryan Yarbrough gets as, uh, as his arbitration hearings coming up. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how many moves they make once the 60-day uh, IL opens up and they move four or five guys onto that. So it'll be a fun week. It'll be a fun week, and we'll come back next week, recap all of that. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you sticking with us with all the technical difficulties we've had. Um, you know, th- thanks a lot, Apple, for, you know, whatever you do with your updates. Um, But, you know, we'll deal with it and all of that. For Matt Germaine, I'm Aiden Pearson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week with another episode of In the Tank.